0: If you're a California conservative, a libertarian, a moderate Democrat, believe in common sense, or just a sane person, this is the political podcast for
1: you. It's the California Underground podcast. What's going on, everybody? you for tuning in to another episode of the California Underground. Uh, I have here with me as a common guest host or guest co-host, Cynthia, who's back again, uh, as well as a new guest. John, who is here with us, he's the founder. Let me get this right. The founder of Reopen
0: California Schools.
1: School. Re, Reopen California Schools and a parent advocate. He's very involved in a lot of the legislative stuff. He knows a lot of stuff that's going on. Um, I reached out to Cynthia. I was like, we need to talk about what crazy bills are still left here in the legislature because everyone was all excited that AB 1993 is on pause right now. So we all, everyone's like taking the win, which is good. We should take the win and be happy that it's on pause right now. But there's still a slew of crazy bills that I think are even crazier. I Maybe, in my opinion, some of these are even crazier and out there, like 1984-ish, than 1993, (laughs) AB 1993. And we're going to get to them. So uh, before we begin, uh, John, you want to say a little bit about yourself since it's your first time on?
0: Uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, my name's Jonathan Zacherson. I'm from Placer County. Uh, I got involved in this about two years ago when school shut down. Uh, I was really upset what was going on with my kids. Uh, they were not learning. Uh, and so I started at the County level, uh, realized that really wasn't where the issue was. Uh, and that it was going to, it was at the state level. So that's when I founded reopen California schools in June of 2020. Uh, you know, naively thinking that we would have a rally at the Capitol in July and that would get our schools open. Um, You know, uh, obviously we had to keep going. Uh, The movement grew as more and more people realized that the state wasn't gonna make the right decisions. Um, And it just continued until we had to sue the governor uh, over mask mandates, we had to sue the governor over some of the quarantine protocols. Uh, And you know, where we're at now is it just, it required an act of defiance by families and even some school districts uh, to get masks off our kids. And so uh, we're now seeing, like you said, these slew of bills, primarily written by by one senator uh, driving a lot of this uh, that are just completely insane, uh, as you alluded to, 1984 ish uh, type of uh, legislation.
1: Yeah, I guess we have a lot to hop into. um, And I want to start off kind of like a schoolhouse rock sort of thing. Um, we're all going to go back. We're all going to go back to like second or third grade. And we're gonna go back to our, our civics lesson. I don't even think they teach civics anymore in a lot of schools, but we're going to go back to how does a bill even become a law in California? And I think this is really crucial that people understand this because when you're talking about the terminology of where a bill is, what it's doing, uh, what part of this whole flow chart it's in could make a big difference because yeah, a bill can pass a committee and a lot of people just see something passes a committee and they think it's passed and oh no, we're, we're screwed. But that could just be the first step and it has other steps to get to. Some of these bills do kind of flounder. Sometimes their authors pull them um, and they they don't want to move forward with them. So just real quickly, uh, we're going to walk through this little flow chart and we'll, we can refer back to it again throughout the throughout all of our discussion of the bills so we can say, oh, it's at this point in the flowchart. It goes through a drafting introduction. You got your first reading. Then it goes to committee. This is really important. This is what happened with Kevin Kiley and this prior this week with the gas suspension tax and then Alex Lee did his little shenanigans. That's the best way and most polite way to put it uh, where he got and amended the bill. It went through committee. It goes to a second reading to whatever house it was introduced in so we have the senate we have the assembly sort of like the senate and the u.s house of representatives floor debate and vote and then it gets sent to the second house they repeat a lot of the same steps and then it has to go back and if there's differences they either resolve them or they just pass them as is which is pretty common with a super majority of democrats and then it goes to gavin newsom to sign or veto so that's the really quick version of how a bill becomes a law. Um, I guess I'll let our new ho or our new guest choose the first bill. He wants to hop on and we'll pull it up.
0: All right. Well, let's let's talk. Uh, do you have SB nine twenty on your list?
1: That's the Uh, the
0: breaking news that we have. So
1: I can pull it up, but while you're talking about it.
0: Okay. Yeah. Let's talk. Uh, we'll be brief on this one. Um, but, you know, this is a very scary one that we've seen uh, because th- this would allow uh, the medical board to just walk into a doctor's office and start looking at medical records without uh, the patient's consent. And for any reason, um, I guess they might have to have some, some sort of cause. Uh, they wouldn't just waste their resources on it, but they don't have to have a legal cause. They would uh, be able to walk in, pull these records, uh, and then decide if they want to subpoena records for court. Uh, So, you know, this was probably, you know, my understanding, uh, this was probably targeting some doctors who were issuing mask exemptions or uh, providing, uh, you know, patients with uh, kind of treatment that maybe, uh, you know, Senator Pan didn't necessarily like. Um, And so that's what we're thinking where this was coming from. But the author uh, just about an hour and a half ago announced that she was pulling this bill and that she was not. So basically it's so in she, she, it was introduced, right, to commit. It was scheduled, I believe, uh, for committee. Uh, yeah, it was scheduled for committee on, on the 4th, it looks like, April 4th. Um, and she pulled it. Uh, now, often the reason why this happens, just like with 1993, AB 1993, was uh, she didn't have the votes. It wasn't going to pass. And so instead of having to, you know, go through that process, uh, have all the testimony, and then ultimately, you know, the representatives say no. Uh, we're not going to vote for this. They just pull it. Um, And maybe Mm -hmm. they try to introduce it at another time, maybe a different year. You know, there's all sorts of things that they can do. Uh, She said that the reason she pulled it was because uh, this wasn't a COVID bill. This was just a general medical bill. Uh, And she's right. uh, But I think with the way public health and the way the the, uh, medical board and establishment has uh, addressed, you know, some of these medical issues, there's a lot of skepticism out there. Uh, and so we don't want, you know, the medical board just to come in and look at our records, our, our kids' records, our individual records uh, for any reason uh, for, you know, from where we're seeing medical, uh, seeking medical treatment.
2: Do you know who yeah. the author was?
0: Um, uh, it is uh, Hurtado.
1: Oh, Hurtado. Oh. Hurtado. Okay. Yeah, she she was just recently on a TV show talking about how the suspension of the gas tax wouldn't really reflect in the price of gasoline. It wouldn't really help put money back in people's pockets, even if the price of the gallon goes up, it still won't help. And I was trying to figure out where the logic is with that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that was a pretty scary one that uh, the state has the ability to just kind of walk in and and start inspecting your medical records, especially because there is this kind of common assumption in American society that your medical records are private. What goes on with your medical happens between you and your doctor. It's sort of that privileged relationship. It's confidentiality. It's sort of like the attorney-client confidentiality. And the idea that the state can just kind of walk in and be like, well, we're going to check it just because we want to check in. We're a little suspicious of these changes how people might interact with their doctor if they know that the medical board could come in and start peeking and poking around your medical records.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, very scary.
1: So uh, Cynthia, I'll let you choose the next bill if you have any one that kind of tickles your fancy.
2: I wanna go through the one, um, do we have SB 866, minors aged through 12 and older minor may consent to their medical care and treatment without the consent of a parent or guardian?
0: Yeah.
1: We do, right here. Introduced by Senator Weiner and Pan. You're going to see a lot of Senator Pan on all these bills. His fingerprints yeah. are on all. Well, wiener, and Pan Senator and Wicks. Wiener.
0: Yeah. wiener Pan and Wicks. Those are the uh, uh, common thread there. Uh, yeah. I, I, I've heard this. I'm not sure if it's true, but some of these bills Weber was on and, and I have to verify but, that uh, she may have taken herself off. So we'll, we'll kind of, I guess maybe we'll see that as we go through here, like we see Friedman uh, was taken off this bill. So yeah, um,
1: why well, yeah. would somebody? Why would someone? Why would you believe someone would take their name off of a bill at a certain point after it's introduced?
0: Oh, they probably don't want to be associated with it anymore. Um, that was mm-hmm. kind of the, the interesting ploy that was uh, happened earlier this week with Kylie and Lee. Uh, they completely gutted it and replaced it. Instead of a tax uh, temporary tax relief, uh, they gave a tax increase, and uh, they didn't even allow him to take his name off of it. So now you have a bill going to the next committee. Uh, that's a tax increase with Kylie's name on.
1: Yeah. Can um, he take his name off at a, a sub? I'm
0: not familiar enough with that process. I would hope so. Um, yeah, yeah but, uh, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens next and what he does. Um, but yeah, so to this bill, this, this, uh, bill eight six is a bill that would allow, uh, uh, or basically give consent for vac- any vaccine, not just COVID vaccine, any vaccine to anybody 12 and older. Uh, right now, the only uh, vaccines that that can be for are hepatitis and HPV. Um, and that's because there's, there's specific language in there that talks about uh, sexually transmitted diseases. Uh, that, you know, my 12 and older can get those ones. Um, but this brings up a lot of issues. Um, in particular, who's going to, if, you know, if there's a reaction, who's going to monitor them? Uh, who knows their medical history? You know, especially as they're trying to get these vaccine clinics on schools where we hear stories where they were giving out vaccines uh, without consent because uh, they were forging parents' signatures, This is in LA, uh, you know, handing out pizza, handing out prizes, handing out gift cards. And so are these children really making, you know, first off, we kept this question the judgment of many 12 year olds, uh, but you know, are they really making the, the even the best 12 year olds making the best judgment for their medical health over getting free stuff, uh, which is what we saw happening. Um, and on top of that, you know, who knows their medical history? If we're giving out vaccines at a school site or, uh, someone who doesn't know this, there could be a, a reaction to this. And uh, that's very scary for, I think, for a lot of parents to you know that they can just do it uh, and not, uh, one, you don't, you're you not able to be informed because you don't have access to the medical records. And two, you don't, aren't able to even give consent as a parent.
1: Yeah, it's funny you brought up the, the free stuff. There was uh, the, the mayor of National City, not the mayor of Chula Vista, I always get, it's mayor of National City. Uh, she was hosting a Three Kings event after christmas which is a big holiday uh in the mexican culture and so they had this whole area where they were giving out toys and gifts and stuff like that and along with the gifts it was like you can get a gift if you just go over here and get a vaccine and it's it's stuff like that that i was like that's that just seems weird and the parents were obviously there behind it but you're right. Like it could be an issue of they, they don't really know. They just do it because they got a free pizza or free toy or whatever. Yeah. They're not really thinking about it. And sometimes it's not really in their best interest. And at 12, I don't know if I would have been if you if, if someone had asked me about my vaccines at 12, I don't think I would have been able to answer or yeah. really care what yeah. vaccines I had. That's what my mom was usually for was to find that stuff out. Um, but Cynthia, you wanted to talk about this bill. In particular, why what 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 kind of got you? Why did you want to talk about this one? What I didn't want to say. I, I try and shy away from the word trigger. I didn't want to say you got <laughs> triggered by this bill.
2: So I think you know, a common theme you know from these past two years is that. So typically, for my opinions in fars government, you know, it really differs off of like the region, the district, and the type of um, office. Speaking like specifically for California, we have had one-party rule for a very long time. Um, that being said, when it came to these past two years with what happened with the pandemic um, and all that, um, I obviously, it's no surprise that we've had the worst of the worst as far as government tyranny. Um, and in my personal purview, just as a general theme, um, I think that our California legislature in particular have really... Uh, shown their worst hand and their cards as far as interfering with the decisions that the role of parents and the role of like how families play and i think you know the best description and analogy i can give is that you know i i think that the california legislator is basically playing parents and playing family and to me that is a big issue um i think we should be playing families over institutions and it really hits it really um It really hits home, especially like if you're a parent or you're someone that has family values, when you have these politicians and elected officials that think that they know better than um, the individuals that made life and the individuals that are raising these lives. Um, So anything where, you know, these people think that they know better than parents or, um, you know they think they can make better decisions or feel that they are entitled to think that they know what's better. um, That's unacceptable to me.
1: Yeah, it's a it reminds me of that video clip of Melissa Harris Perry, who said, you know, we have to get over this notion of like the children, but they're your possession or something. We haven't really talked about how this notion of the children belong to us, they belong to the community. And that's what it sort of does feel like with a lot of these bills is they are the state is starting to step in as like, we're the better parents to your children than you could ever be. And if you follow Richard Pan on Twitter, he always likes to tout, well, I'm a doctor. I know what's best. And I did this for my kids. So you should be doing this for your kids. Otherwise you're a bad parent. And I know better because I'm a good parent. Um, John, do you see a lot of that? I mean, you've been working a lot with trying to reopen schools and, and children and stuff like that. Do you see a lot of parents getting this, sense that the state is really kind of pushing too hard and trying to take over their kids' lives?
0: Oh, definitely. Um, Many people weren't really paying attention. Now, there were. There were definitely people paying attention, and I've uh, gotten to know them uh, these past two years, but they've been at it for a long time, and they've seen this happening slowly. But there wasn't enough people uh, paying attention, or maybe because it was happening too slowly. Uh, With COVID and the shutdowns and the extended closures and the mask mandates, uh, it opened up a lot of uh, people's eyes uh, and they saw what was going on. They really you know, pulled back that curtain. Uh, and so uh, they do see this just broad takeover at schools on the education, the curriculum. Uh, we see that when it comes to health policy. And it's just incredible at a time when people are paying this much attention. Uh, this is when Pan decides he wants to come up with the most atrocious bills on medical freedom, especially for families making medical decisions uh, for their children. Um, And I'd add to this is all like you said, Pan is is primarily the author or or part of the authors in a lot of these. Uh, It's coming out of a group that he created, his former chief of staff uh, created this group called Protect Us. Uh, And it's this uh, this group that's that's pretty much drafting a lot of this legislation. Uh, He's helping fundraise for this group while he's fundraising for his own committees for races that he's not even in. Uh, And so we don't know what's going on there, but there's there's definitely a lot of money behind it. Uh, and unfortunately we can't see where some of that uh, money's coming from or necessarily where it's going uh, but we do know the output are these bills
1: yeah uh, you could always just do like followthemoney.org and just see sort of the the trend of where richard pan gets a lot of his money from and you can start to kind of connect the dots of why he does a lot of the stuff he does so let's take a look at where it is right now so anyone who's not watching we're on the California legislative information site. That's where we're looking at all these bills. It gives you the up-to-date information on all of these bills. It gives you the votes, the bill analysis. Um, Right now we're looking at the history, which shows you exactly like where it is right now. So right now, recently it's from committee with authors amendments read second time and amended, re-referred to committee on judiciary. Is that it judiciary is I'm assuming J U D. So that's where it is right now. It's, it's going back to the committee after its second read. And you can track all of these bills. If you sign up with an account, you can track all these bills and follow them and they'll give you updates and all that. If so if there's a bill, go to this site. It's ledgeinfo.legislator.ca.gov. You could just type that in to Google and or DuckDuckGo or whatever search engine is is super trendy right now. Uh, and just go find it and start tracking these bills because DuckDuckGo is no longer cool anymore. So whatever <laughs> search engine, I don't know what search engine people are using right now. Uh, so I think the next one I want to move on to is 13 S uh, Senate Bill 1390, which, again, introduced by Senator Pan. Uh, this one specifically is regarding social media platforms. It talks about social media platforms and the amplification of harmful content, Uh, Existing law prohibits a person, among others, from making or disseminating in any advertising device or any manner or means whatsoever, including over the Internet any statement concerning real or personal property or services that is untrue or misleading as specified. Um, The bill would prohibit a social media platform as defined from amplifying harmful content in a manner that results in a user viewing harmful content, content from another user with whom the user did not choose to share a connection. So uh this is what I'm talking about when I say some of these bills really are straight out of 1984. Oh, because yeah. Because <laughs> what is harmful content according to Senator Pan?
0: Well, right. And you know, it's interesting. I, I did tweet about this uh bill in particular when I saw it when I saw the language on it and saw some of these amendments. Uh and uh, you know, I really look at this as almost like a personal uh, bill for him. He hates any negative comments on his social media. And so uh, if, you, if you notice that, if you go to his Twitter account, uh, any negative comment, he will suppress it. So Twitter allows him and others to hide comments on any of your tweets if you don't like them. He does it all the time. Uh, mm. you, can't, you can't see it. And you look, he's often ratioed on Twitter, but you don't see any of these comments. You don't have maybe one positive comment in 99 uh, negative comments. And so, uh, you know, it's almost like he doesn't like this. In fact, he even called out just a regular citizen uh, on this message and, and took a screenshot of her post and then tweeted it out, you know, uh, uh, degrading her and, and, and called her names. Uh, and so, uh, you know, it's very interesting that he's taken this. I feel like it's his personal, uh, don't say mean things to pan bill. Uh yeah. But yeah, it's very scary. Uh, That, you know, what is disinformation? What is information? What, what, how do you define these terms? Uh, We had people censored on social media for, uh, you know, they were wrong. They were, they were wrong. I'm saying that in quotes uh, to only be right six months later, uh, you know, constantly through the pandemic. And so none of those ideas or issues would get out there uh, and this would fine uh, uh, entities for doing so. And another scary part about this bill is it actually requires uh, large social media companies to track this stuff and hand it over to the Department of Justice. I believe um, every single every single time that someone flags it. So I can imagine Pan going through and flagging every single uh, instance uh, of people commenting on his uh, Twitter account.
1: Well, it says here uh, I asked what was harmful content, and they do define it. Uh, they talk about libel and slander. It's subsection C. Two says threats of imminent violence against governmental entities. So, uh, you know, if you even probably allude to the fact that there was a revolution 300 years ago and maybe it's time for another one, maybe that might be viewed as a threat against the governmental entity. Uh, memes about, I don't know, attacking the Fed or something like that, which I see sometimes on like Libertarian Post, which I still think is funny. Uh, but The third, C3, subsection C3 says disinformation or misinformation, including but not limited to false or misleading information regarding medicine or vaccinations, false or misleading information regarding elections and conspiracy theories. Wow. Who do you think that's geared towards? Do you think that's a bipartisan uh, subsection (laughs) there? Do you think they're going after someone specifically on social media when they they put that language in there?
0: But, but yeah, they're going after everybody. And Cynthia, I don't know if it looked like you're about to say something, but uh, uh, and like I said, this goes to the Department of Justice. Within, uh, so um, uh, I believe it was the Department of Justice. Maybe I'm 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 misspeaking here, but basically, whoever is in charge of the, you know running the government at the time gets to make that decision.
2: Yeah, it kind of it reminds me of like what was going on like on the federal and national level when you know they basically deemed parents as um you know national terrorists just because they you know have something to say at their school board meetings um and just like as far my whole issue with this as well um similar sentiments like we need to find what does it mean you know for hate speech and all that um and basically how it basically means like just protect protect senator senator from like all these different things you know i just couldn't help but think about how it's usually like the people that have the most to say and you know are the most you know dictatorial towards these things um they're always like those vindictive vindictive thing people that i know like in politics so i c- just couldn't help but think about nathan fletcher and Lorena gonzalez like how you know to them they do no wrong they get to say whatever they want and then if dare say the common folk have anything to say back to them that contradicts their agenda or whatever um they're just about the meanest people both offline and online and that's just all i could think of when as we were going through this bill um so it's just basically you know taking the, that attitude and that predicament statewide but it's for dr pan
1: yeah there's I just saw something that I thought was also interesting is that they said social media platform is any internet-based service that's made available to residents that has generated at least $100 million in gross revenue during the preceding calendar year. So that means it's not just Instagram, Twitter, all the ones that are making billions, but even some of these other alternative social media platforms that are cropping up. So like a Gab, a Getter, Truth Social, I guess if you're still not, if you if you've registered or you're still sitting on the wait list and your number like 500 million or something like that, um, but yeah, I mean th- this isn't just against when you're on Instagram. They could effectively use this law even if you're on Getter or any of these other platforms that advocate for more open free speech. This California law could go after a lot of people on that platform and make it very hard for these social media platforms to even operate in California.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and just real quick, uh, point of clarification: uh, I was mixing up some of the federal terms. So it's the attorney general uh, is where this information would have to go to uh, California attorney general. Oh, so,
2: Rob Arta. that's great. Yeah. yeah, Rob. Yeah,
1: yeah, we've had a slew of really great attorney generals, so <laughs> I don't have any faith in any of them. Um, but yeah, this is this one is. Uh, I, I was looking at this one before we. we hopped on i was doing my research and my homework before this podcast and this one i i hadn't known about i hadn't known too much about but i found it and i was like this one is crazy this one is definitely 1984 ish control the narrative i mean this is literally this we could just rename this the ministry of truth bill like this is the ministry of truth we're gonna tell you what is and what is not and we're gonna throw everything else we're going to memory hole all the other information, or we're going to punish you for daring to speak out or have a different opinion. So this one was scary.
0: A very Yeah. And that kind of pairs with, you know, AB two, uh, which we don't have to go too much in depth, but that one was targeting physicians over, uh, promoting or disseminating misinformation for COVID. Uh, so if you were one that says cloth masks are not effective, uh, you know, 12 months ago, uh, you could then be investigated and have your license removed.
1: This was introduced by oh, this was somebody different. It was introduced by Assembly Member Evan we
2: Lowe,
1: love who him I believe. Here.
2: Sarcasm. <laughs> is
1: he? Is he Bay Area, Evan? I always feel like a lot of these bills just there's a good chance it's always authored by someone from the Bay Area.
2: Low is Bay Area.
1: Yeah, that's what I figured. Um, and Senators Pan and Weiner are co-authors, and Akila Weber. Uh, the daughter of Shirley Weber, who's the Secretary of State from down here in San Diego area, uh, but yeah, this is this is one of the another bill that like the state can come in, look at your records, and then this one says we can pull your license if you start disseminating information that we deem incorrect or anything that's misinformation or disinformation on COVID. Um, so somebody like uh, what's his name down here in Orange County is it Jeff? Jeff Baker, Jeff, Jeff I can't, yeah, yeah. yeah, He's one of the most outspoken critics of COVID since the beginning. He would be like public enemy number one under this bill, most likely.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Tracy, Tracy Hogue, uh, who's who's been part of studies, mask studies, uh, that have contradicted the narrative at the time, uh, and has proven to be correct on some of this. Uh, You know, she's also very uh, pro-vaccine, Uh, uh, especially on the COVID vaccine, but she's also nuanced on this. She's like, hey, maybe if you have a teenage boy between, you know, this age and that age, and I don't know what it was, uh, maybe you should only give them one dose of the vaccine. Uh, And, you know, that this kind of information would be targeted uh, and she could potentially have her license removed.
1: This feels like uh, to have doctors not be able to speak on certain subjects feels like sort of how the uh, Italian elite did not like when Galileo was talking about how we, we orbit the sun and not the other way around. And they thought that was blasphemy. Like that's so anti-science to tell doctors who are experts in these fields that they can't dive into these complicated subjects that are evolving and say, Nope, there's only one opinion. The state has the best opinion. That's it. Don't question it, and if you do, we're going to take your whole livelihood that you've worked, God knows how many years—twelve years—to get, just because you decided to question the science.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's pretty insane. Um, the good news about these last two bills is so far that they don't have a committee hearing date, uh, so hopefully they don't uh, get to see committee. Um, but we'll be—we'll definitely be watching them.
1: Yeah, you know, the it was referred to uh, business and business and professions committee. Over a month ago. So, yeah. and it, it's just kind of floundered there for a little bit. So that's good that it's kind of floundering. Uh, I want to check. We'll go back to the social media where this one's hanging out. It was oh, last week. It was referred, re-referred to the committee on judiciary. Um, so we'll see. We'll follow these and see where they go. Uh, but Yeah. So far, a lot of these are just sitting in committee right now. But it's good to know where they're going, so that we're not all taken aback, and we can talk and kind of respond to our our lawmakers on it. Okay, so what's next, um, John? Before, maybe
0: what? before we jump on the next, maybe we can talk a little bit of that that committee process too, because uh, it's yeah. helpful to know. So uh, sometimes bills could, you know, are referred. So you see, you if we look at, um, actually, we want to go back to that social media, uh, yeah, uh, history. Uh, you can see there that, that on 3-9, it was referred to the Rules Committee, um, which they, you know, they make the determination to where all the different uh, committees that the bill has to go to, um, right? So sometimes you have to go to two, sometimes you have to go to three. You know, some of these bills that we're going to be talking about, they have to go to three, and that makes it very difficult to get through because uh, you start running out of time when you go through that. When we looked at that map process of having to go through all the committees and then has to go back to the, the other house, has to go through all their committees, And so in that process, uh, you start running out of time. And so when we look at some of these bills like, you know, SB 1479 uh, or SB 871, in particular, that's a big one, SB 871, uh, that's the childhood uh, COVID vaccination one and the person removing the personal belief exemption, uh, that I believe has to be heard in the health committee by the end of April. Um, And Mm -hmm. if it doesn't get heard by the end of April, they're, they're officially out of time unless they break some rules. I wish they could do, but... Uh, that would mean it's likely dead if, if it's not heard by the end of April in, in the Senate Health Committee.
1: So a lot of these bills, uh, California does it in an interesting or interesting, if you don't know about it, it's a lot of bills are introduced right in the beginning of the year, correct? So it's kind of, you have this onslaught of bills that just pop out of nowhere and they get introduced and they have to sort of make it through the calendar year. Now bills can be introduced throughout the year, if I'm correct as well, but they have a certain time limit like you're saying. Once they're introduced, they can't flounder, they can't take a long time. They have to make it through these committees in a in a sort of a timely manner that so that you can't just have a bill floating from committee to committee. It has to get a vote on it, correct?
0: Yeah, so eventually has to to go through it. and there's there's additional rules uh, I believe uh, you, can, you can hear it at the following year before it dies. Um, mm. So at least for this year, it would be dead. But, uh, and, and even still, when they do get passed, generally they would go, uh, you know, the law would take place January 1st of uh, the next year, um, unless they have um, an urgency clause to it. But that would require two thirds, I believe it's two thirds majority to hit that. Uh, so mm. if we're, even at the COVID vaccines or any of this stuff, you have a little bit of time to challenge it in court.
1: Mm. Even though there is a Democratic supermajority, which could <laughs>
0: they, they could. could they could, but they're having trouble getting any of these through. So, um, so far, the only one that they're able to get through a single committee was uh, fourteen seventy nine, which was on Wednesday.
1: So let's uh hop into that one because I know you said you wanted to talk about that one. Yeah, uh, what's this one about?
0: Yeah, so fourteen seventy nine is a bill that would require. Uh, schools to have COVID testing plans indefinitely. And that they basically would have to follow the rules uh, from whatever CDPH tells them they have to test. Uh, and the, the, it's not clear who has to pay for this. Uh, it appears that uh, schools would have to pay for this. Uh, and so, you know, some of, some of the resources would be CDPH, uh, California Department of Public Health, but uh, others would be the schools. And so it's just, it's basically this continuing uh, burden, uh, burdensome requirements on schools and this continuation of of just COVID is going to be everywhere. Uh, If we continue to test, we're going to continue to have false positives. We're going to continue to have kids out of school. Um, At this point with with vaccines available with just as many people have had COVID, uh, this isn't necessary. Um, We have data from LAUSD that has, uh, you know, they did a lot of testing and the only good thing that came out of their testing was to show that we don't need to be doing testing, um, right? Uh, they had a 0.2% uh, transmission rate amongst those at school, right? So, uh, you know, you would have caught maybe, you know, February 100 uh, or 1,000 people, you would have caught two people um, from this program, and they've spent over half a million dollars uh, on this program so far, just this school year. And so you can think about all of the funding, uh, all the things that we could be doing, with this money, uh, instead of this uh, unnecessary testing.
1: It's interesting that they crossed out the contingent upon appropriation of funds by the legislature for its purpose, and then they crossed that out. So it, I yeah,
0: guess. Yeah, I thought that was interesting too. So we'll see what I think. It, again, that's is some of the confusion over the funding.
1: Yeah, funds appropriated for purposes of this section shall be used to expand the State Department of Public Health. Um they're crossing out everything regarding funds and all that. So if if you're watching us, you can see that there's, there's stuff in red, which is struck. That is stuff that's been struck. And then the blue is what's been amended um, or what language has been added. So yeah, it's one of those things with COVID. If you test for COVID all the time, there's going to be COVID. It's kind of like if you started testing daily for the common cold every day at schools i bet you would all of a sudden see a spike in the common cold at schools as well because there's could be plenty of false positives there could be i mean you're just testing everybody all the time sooner or later you're going to rack up all those numbers um and i guess they believe that it's that important to set up testing sites indefinitely at these schools
2: My two points is, um, I think that, again, always has to target the kids, right? But I think in general, I think we need to get back to normalizing that if you're healthy, you're healthy, and we should just trust that you're healthy and you're going to do what you need to do. And if you're sick, just stay home. Um, I don't think we should, we, we are beyond the point of having to prove to people that you're healthy and that you're okay to kind of go on with your day, whether at work or school, and then my second thing is, um, if I ever hear another person say that kids are resilient, I'm gonna lose it.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah,
1: yeah. I, it it's no reason to do to kids what has been done to them for so long. Our, our our mass mass have been dropped, or I'm I get so lost on like the different different school districts are still keeping mass. San Diego Unified is keeping mass on schools basically, indefinitely. They've said, we don't really plan on taking masks, but I know a lot of places are dropping mask requirements in schools. Is that correct?
0: Yeah. So the state lifted the requirement, um, I want to say March 14th, 15th, somewhere around the bit of that Monday is, yeah, March 14th uh, was was the first day that uh, the state officially allowed it. And and every county uh, kind of got behind that and was saying that uh, we're not going to require masks just strongly recommended. Uh, but in that process, you have you know, certain school districts around the state that says, well, we're going to keep masks no matter what. Uh, so you have Oakland, which was just lifted masks outside uh, just the other day. Uh, you have Hayward. You have, you know, San Diego, was, I think it was till April. Um, Sac City was indefinite. Uh, and so it's just absurd. It's not a, it's not a lot because um, even LAUSD is now allowing kids to unmask indoors. Uh so you know that was you know those are the ones that are driving a lot of the policy, so it's interesting to see that uh they were not the last, and that some of these other bigger school districts are uh going further
1: so someone asked doesn't it also say they need to expand testing for contagious infectious communicable diseases? what's that about
0: uh in the, uh, I think they're talking about uh the was it was it thirteen ninety no it wasn't thirteen ninety it was um Oh, we were just talking about this. I'm trying to find the number. Oh, the uh, the 1479. That's right. We were just on that one. No, um, I mean, it might address that a little bit, but this is primarily to COVID. Uh, So it's talking about making sure that you have COVID testing on site. Um, And and so this is a COVID bill.
1: Do you think they threw that language in there so that they gave themselves the leeway in case there's other stuff that pops up, they can be like, well, we have these testing sites and we can start to test for other communicable diseases. Like, I feel like that's the way lawmakers do it is they kind of leave stuff open so that down the road, because a lot of this is drafted by lawyers anyway, down the road, it's, it could be interpreted to do what they want it to do. It's not so open and shut.
0: Uh, Yeah, that's possible, right? You you create these clinics, you have these testing plans in place and they're like, oh, well, now we're going to start testing for the flu. Oh, now we're going to start testing for this. Uh, the next thing you know, the school, you know, half the school's budget is just testing uh, for communicable diseases.
1: Uh, Lauren Springer, uh, Libertarian Party, San Diego Libertarian Party in the House says SDU San Diego Unified or SDUSD. I don't know why I'm tripping over my words is dropping the mandate on Monday. So that's good news. Yeah. Um, all right. Next up, Cynthia, your choice.
2: Let me see. Do we have SB
1: 1464? Uh, yes. Oh, before we hop on to that one, let's double check the history of where SB 1479 is. As of 321 from Committee with Authors Amendments read second time and amended. Referred to committee on health. So there you go. That's where it is right now. Still well, going
0: through. Uh, yeah. it's actually, this is not up to date, actually. Um, okay. Yeah, this is not up to date. So this is uh, 1479 was the one we, we just had this hearing. We had a doctor speak, we had a school board speak. Uh, if you go to Reopen California Schools uh, on Facebook, uh, you can see some of those videos of the school board uh, talking about this. Uh, there were, uh, I want to say, like nine or eight organizations that spoke in favor. One of them obviously is a testing company. Uh, One of them was PAN's special interest group, Protect Us. Uh, There were 11 different organizations that were against it uh, and like 300 individuals were against it. And then on the day of the hearing, uh, you had, you know, the two witnesses and then just, I think like, not a single parent, just organizations. So just those nine organizations spoke up. Hundreds of people either showed up or called in to the hearing to oppose it. Uh, Didn't matter. Uh, They still passed it seven to two. Wow. Yep, pretty much on party lines. So, um, so now it's passed the health committee and it's going to be going to the education committee. And my understanding is that is going to be uh, the last week of April, uh, or the, the third week of. Let me check out my dates here. Um, maybe the twentieth. I think might be on the twentieth of April. Somewhere around there is when the uh, this is going to be heard in the education committee.
2: April's gonna be a big month. Oh, yeah.
1: April's a big month for a lot of this is so get your phones ready, get your template ready to send to your assemblyman and se- state Senator. There's going to be a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of okay. voicing your opinion in April. So that's yeah. Really, and and, and
0: add to that, you know, not just yourself, but get groups. So get your school board, get your uh, county representatives, get your city council to, to dra- draft letters and write uh, opposition letters to these bills. And they can do it today. They don't have to wait until the hearing. Uh, the more opposition bills or the more opposition letters they get, uh, the better. Uh, and and uh, ha- coming from organizations and coming from you know elected governments are uh, helpful than just a, an individual sending a letter. Yeah. Send yours too, um, and 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 get organizations to submit their letters as well.
1: Yeah. So, Cynthia, you want to jump on SB fourteen sixty four? Correct.
2: That's correct. Uh, so this is the one where. It authorizes the sheriff to enforce all orders of the state department of public health or of a local health official. Um, So these, and when we say, you know, local health officer, these are unelected. So in general, I officially have trust issues whenever people say public health (laughs) because we don't know what that is anymore. Um, But this is concerning to me because you know, we are in California, it is no surprise that like, as far as most counties, as far as elected officials, and, you know, audiences or things of that nature is mostly Democrat run. Uh, so that being said, um, it does bring to question, you know, some other concerns, like, we should be also looking at who's the sheriff, because if they're a sheriff, that is for we the people and for freedom, you should be fine. Um, but if you're not, you know, this is something, you know, to be concerned about. Um So although like, you know, the mandates, you know, for the most part, you know, are pretty much over um, the fact that they want to make this into a law, they're basically previewing it to like if something like this happens again, they have the ability to be able to enforce it in the future. So it's like, you know, if we're thinking long term, you know, beyond these two years, um, because they are right now, um, this is something, you know, to be concerned by. Um, And we did see a lot of great sheriffs in different counties stand up and say, hey, we're not going to be going door to door enforcing mandates or things of that nature Um, of businesses. You know, there was a moment in these past years where they had curfews like and that impacted small businesses. Um, And there were some counties that really took advantage and leveraged their sheriffs to go enforce that. Um, And fortunately, there was a lot of sheriffs that I give a lot of credit for that said they weren't going to utilize those resources and not steward it in that way. Um, But it is very concerning that they're looking to make that element into law here in California.
1: It seems, and if you're starting to see the pattern, you're not crazy. It seems a lot of these bills are very much, if you don't agree with the state, we're going to punish you. Basically, from this bill to the social media bill to the doctors and medical licenses bill, it's very much if you don't agree with us, the state's going to come in and punish you. Um, for some reason, and I could imagine why the 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 left has weaponized this idea of a top-down authority, and I, I believe that they are they hate federalism. They hate the idea that our nation and its power balance was created so that there can be pushback, there can be resistance, there could be little pockets that say we don't want to participate in what you're doing because that's how it was supposed to be. The, the pockets of power were supposed to be dispersed across the country so you couldn't have this sort of one-man rule or top-down rule. And this is just a perfect, another good example that if the sheriff who is elected of your county says, I'm not going to listen to this because I'm bound by the constitution, they're now punishing that sheriff and saying, we're going to remove your, your funds and that those funds, this one, kind of makes me laugh. So they'll hold funds from the law enforcement agency and then take those funds that they're withholding and give it to the public health department in your county.
0: Yeah, right. It's basically, it says, well, if the sheriff isn't going to be enforcing the public health rules, then we'll give it to the public health entity and make that, let them enforce it with the funds, uh, I guess, is where they're going. So they're going to hire uh, you know their own agents to come in and, and making sure that people are wearing masks or that people are staying in their homes or uh, they're not having more than three guests in their house during Christmas. You know, It's just very interesting to see what they plan on doing. Um, but I have some very interesting news on this one as well. So this okay. is not reported. It's not going to say it's breaking news or anything, but it's unreported. Uh, so the, op- uh, again, for all these bills ahead of time, you've you have about a week before, uh, they're heard. There's like a deadline that's seven days before the committee. You have to submit your opposition letters or your support letters. Uh, this bill only has two support letters. One of them is PAN's shill group, protect us. They're going to be coming up quite a bit. Uh, we expect that group to be submitting these letters. It's basically Pan submitting uh, a support letter to his own bill. Then you have this this other group uh, that's called uh, the Health Officers Association of California, or the Health Oso- Health Officers of California Association. I'm not sure the order there, uh, but that organization is made up of uh, members which come from the counties and cities. The sixty, I think there's 61 different health departments. We have the 58 counties plus three different cities have their own health departments. Uh, they're the members of this, And so I'm still trying to get an understanding of where this funding, but I believe these health departments, so our tax dollars, our local tax dollars are funding these local health departments. Some of our state money is too. And then they're deciding to uh, spend those tax dollars on, these, on this membership group. This membership group then is actually a political group who's submitting uh, you know, opposition or support letters. And in this case, they're supporting this bill. Uh, so our tax dollars are going to support uh, an, organ- you know, an organization that's supporting taking away our rights away. And so it's very interesting to see this whole process and where the money comes from. Uh, but those are the only two organizations uh, in support. There's, I wanna say there's 30 or so, including a lot of law enforcement agencies uh, that are against it. And when we get the full bill analysis, uh, before by the end of the week, we should see how many individuals opposed uh, as well.
1: Hmm. So, it's oh, wh- what's your prediction of what's going to happen to this bill?
0: Uh, let me to see who the who's the author. So, so Pan is the sole author on this, uh, and it is being heard in oh, what committee is it being heard in? Um, my uh history's not working. Yours, I, I can't see your, your
1: screen there. Oh, uh We refer to committee on health on the 20.
0: Oh. oh, so it's going to health. So that's interesting. So he's the chair of that committee. There the, that's the same committee that just passed uh, 1479. Uh, to me, this is pretty controversial. Uh, and so um, what what I would expect, uh, I, I don't know, it's hard to see what's happened. They just passed it uh, uh, 1479. So uh, I'm hopeful that they'll, they'll that maybe he'll pull it. I'm hopeful that maybe Uh, they pass this down or maybe they they'll want some sort of amendment first, but um, I'm not liking this one and we we need to make sure that it's next. The hearing is next Wednesday. Uh, Mm -hmm. I don't know the time, but it is next Wednesday is when this one is going to be heard. So definitely be ready to call in on this one. Um, I I give it a 50 50 at this point.
1: Yeah. I would think that a lot of law enforcement groups and unions are, are likely against this. And there's probably a good chance that you're going to see, some some uh, opposition from the, those groups. Uh, and if it, it doesn't have that much support now, it probably is slowly dying on the vine. Hopefully it's slowly dying on the vine. Um, it, but it doesn't sound like it's in in, in, in good shape right now.
0: Yeah, it, it, it would be nice to see what happens. 1983, sorry, 1993, that one that, that was pulled by Wix, that had, I want to say, four organizations in support uh, of course one of which was protect us uh it had 86 organizations against it and over 1100 people against it uh so that I've, it's, it's just there's so much opposition to that bill this one again it, it has more than what we saw for 1479 which is the testing bill uh, definitely a lot more but it wasn't to the extent that 1993 was and a uh, pan is uh, i think a little bit more um stubborn maybe on some of this stuff and he's not going to You know, he thinks he has a chance to get any of his bills through uh he's going to try to do it um whereas wicks maybe took a little bit more conservative approach and says you know what i'm not going to risk it we'll just pull it
1: no uh so next one i think this is one of the more controversial ones is sb 871 is
0: this yeah Yeah. i think it's probably the last one we had on our list i think too so Oh, just so
2: the audience is aware, Senator Pan is in his last term as a senator. So, you know, he's always been very emboldened, but he definitely does not care about reelections. Just so everyone is aware. This is his last year. He does not care at all.
0: Well, well, he cares about something. There's there's something up. When you look at this protect us group, he has three open committees right now, including I think one was for controller for twenty twenty two. He had another committee for another race for twenty twenty two. And he's still still fundraising for his 2018 Senate uh, committee. Uh, So Mm -hmm. he's doing something. I just don't know what it is. Uh, And the more he raises money, uh, the more he especially gets donations from the special interest groups, uh, the more I'm concerned. So, yes, he's not going to be a state legislator legislator anymore, but he could still very much be involved in politics, and that's just
1: Yeah, They they do get rehashed. Um, Loyalist. Who who walk the who do a good job usually get rehashed in California. Um, I mean, look, just look at Gavin Newsom. He went from county supervisor up to governor because he towed the party line and played ball. Uh, maybe Richard Pan's going to run for governor. And I just threw up in my mouth a little bit just Oh, uh, uh,
0: I. You know what? You might be right. Uh, in forty years, maybe he will.
1: It will be interesting, and this is a little off-topic, but I I think that's one reason we haven't seen a lot of big names jump in in opposition of uh, Gavin Newsom this year is I think people are just waiting for Gavin Newsom to finish his second term, clear the field, and see where they can go because he's such a powerhouse. Um, And it'll be interesting to see who tries to pick up his mantle because I can't think of a big-name Democrat outside of Gavin Newsom who would have governor sort of poll in, in California.
0: Uh, Yeah. I don't, I don't know either. Um, But the ones that come to mind are the scariest ones. So uh, I don't want to think about that right now.
1: (laughs) I I definitely don't want to think about like Senator Wiener running for governor. I, I, I would be like, well, uh, so Arizona, we're all going to Arizona, (laughs) but Uh, so this bill SB 871 is regarding,
0: uh, yeah, childhood vaccinations, uh, for COVID. And then there's a few other amendments that just impact any vaccination.
1: Right. So this was the one, yeah, I see this one pop up a lot in a a lot of parental groups, a lot of groups, uh, who are focused on this stuff. Uh, you would have to be vaccinated against COVID-19 to attend school. Is that correct?
0: Uh, yes. Yeah. So the intent behind this is, uh, there's a couple of things that it does. Uh, and let me, let's, let's talk about kind of a little bit where we're at now. So back in October, uh, Newsom uh, said that he was going to be mandating the COVID-19 vaccine to attend school starting, I think it was next school year. And it'd be the 12 year olds and older uh, pending uh, the full FDA approval for, uh, for 12 years, uh, for, for, for kids 12 and older. Uh, the, he's actually allowed to do that under, well, the California Department of Public Health is allowed to do that under existing law. So they can say, and it's in this the, the health and safety code that says, um, it's got the California Department of Public Health, if they, if they determine that we need to uh, have another vaccine for school, uh, they can do it. However, if it is done that way, uh, there must be a personal belief exemption. So any parent would be able to fill that out and schools would have to do that. And that's kind of the crux of why San Diego lost their lawsuit. Was because they don't. One, they don't have the authority to do it as an individual school district. Two, even if they did, or even if they could, state law says that you have to have a personal belief exemption, as it is today. So, one of the things that PAN wants to do is remove that personal belief exemption. So, any vaccine that CDPH would want to do, come up with in the future, there, there would be no exception. You just have to do it. They could, it could be, uh, they could come up with it tomorrow and and um, make up an excuse for it, and they would, they would have to do it, and you'd have to, your kids would have to get it to go to school. Uh, It also specifically calls out COVID-19 on this list. So your kid would have to get the COVID-19 vaccine. And it's what's even interesting, it doesn't even wait till full FDA approval. It says kids as young as five, and it doesn't matter that it's emergency use authorization right now. Kids as young as five would have to be vaccinated against COVID to attend in-person school. It includes private in-person school. It includes public in-person school and charters.
1: Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so right here, this bill would repeal the provision, thereby removing the personal belief exemption for any additional immu- immunization requirements deemed appropriate by the department. I feel like that's got to be ripe for a legal challenge. I'm assuming somebody is going to sue over this, that you can't repeal a personal belief exemption.
0: There are lawsuits on religious exemptions right now. I don't, I, I don't know where they are, and they're not in our. I think there might be one from our state, but there are some that might make their way up to the Supreme Court. Um, but the personal belief exemption isn't probably the the one area that you'd sue. People might sue over religious. Uh, they would also just sue the fact that hey, I had COVID. You know, that's enough mm-hmm. of an immunization. I should be you know qualified. So it becomes very you know, how do you manage all that? Okay, now so let me submit your record. Okay, let me submit your uh, your antibody testing. Like, what do you want to do as a parent? Um, it's going to be incredibly burdensome for schools. Generally, uh, you know, there's different age groups at which kids have to get their vaccines. And so when a school does this, they do it over the summer, uh, they, they, they collect their vaccine information, and it's only for the incoming students. Um, it's not every student in the school. And what we're seeing is that with the COVID-19 vaccine only, uh, of, of kids five to 11, only about one third of kids five to eleven have been vaccinated, so that gives you an idea about how parents feel about the COVID nineteen vaccine. Um, mm. Right, they're not very enthusiastic about it. So uh, we saw massive protests in October. There's four thousand people at the Capitol just protesting Newsom's mandate, which allowed for the personal leave exemption. Uh, you know, there's parents and their school districts that are writing in opposition. This is we will be completely gutted if we uh, this bill passes because half of our kids are just going to leave
1: yeah, well, it'll be a boon for private schools and parochial schools, so that's yeah, well. always good um you're definitely seeing that rebound of people looking for it was interesting seeing how fast people would try get into private schools or parochial schools or schools that were reopening because public schools were not reopening and the rush of people trying to get into them at the last minute so um may have changed a lot of people's minds on the idea of school choice and not always sending their kids to public school. Um Cynthia, do you have any, I didn't want to leave you out. Do you have any comments on this particular bill? And again, going after children? <gasps>
2: No, I think um, if this was the last bill on our list, um, I did want to have a very we're coming up on an hour, but really wanted to have a very quick discussion about thinking long term, because obviously it's productive and we're being active participants in our government and being good citizens of our state, you know, being watchdogs. But the best way we can combat this is thinking long term and flipping seats to Republican in the state legislature. Um, so I know we tossed around like Democrat majority and more libertarian.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Don't don't forget about our libertarian brothers and sisters. They'll they're part of the fight too. So,
2: yeah. Um, but I think, you know, we tossed around Democrat majority a lot because obviously there is majority, you know, Democrat, um, elected officials in there, but there's a difference between that and then saying we have a veto proof supermajority. So basically, you know, when we were talking about these bills and we were discussing how these bills passed in the committee with 7-2, whatever, um, there's mostly Democrats saying on these committees. And obviously, you know, for those who don't know, if you are elected to legislature, you're assigned to committees. Um, but if we have more Republicans that are elected in there, you know, it, that will help, you know, increase the numbers on there. So when it comes time to vote in the committee, it's not, you know, outnumbered. Um, so I definitely, you know, want to put in that plug because we do have primaries coming up and we're getting mail-in ballots because of bills passed in the legislature. They're going to get, everyone's going to get mailed a ballot May 9th and primaries are June. So um, if you have a Republican running in um, state assembly, vote for them.
1: Yeah, it is a uh... I mean, if you want to get really wonky, it, it does make a difference when you start to balance the power a little bit more because a lot, as, you were, as we've seen with all these bills, there's a lot of work that goes in these committees. There's a lot of back and forth that goes, a lot of politicking that happens in these committees. So even evening out the numbers on these committees can make a huge difference in whether these bills live or die because it's not so much like, poor Senator Melendez is one of two Republicans on a committee and she's completely outvoted. It's two Republicans versus seven Democrats. Um, And if you make it a little bit more even strategically and politicking wise, it does make a difference of, well, you're not going to have a slam dunk every single time. And maybe it does a controversial bill doesn't get through because maybe there aren't enough votes and maybe there are some Democrats from certain districts who are like, Uh, I don't want to attach my name to this. Maybe I'll abstain from this. And then all of a sudden, they don't have the votes to pass. Um, So there is a huge, I I mean, this is one of those reasons why we always say we got to talk about flipping the legislature. That's the biggest thing. If you want to stop the kookiness and craziness here in California, you got to flip the legislature and you got to balance out the legislature. Uh, One more thing before we kind of do keep talking about this. Uh, the history of SB eight seven one is as of two twenty four referral to Committee on Judiciary rescinded because of the limitations placed on committee hearings due to ongoing health and safety risks of the COVID nineteen virus. So does I don't I'm not sure what that means. Oh, we lost your we can't hear you.
0: Uh, sorry. So sorry. That's a very interesting uh, comment there because. Uh, I would think that this is a very important bill to go to judiciary because of some of those legal challenges that might come up. But uh, maybe it's just out of time. Maybe it's when they looked at the judiciary and their agenda. They're like, hey, which things really need to be in judiciary? And they started going through that list and saying we're not going to hear everything because, um, you know, limit COVID-19. It it was very funny when I was at the hearing on Wednesday, I was there in person. uh, But they limit the number of people that go into the hearing room. And they, they have very, I mean, it was like a 10% capacity because the idea is that they want to maintain social distancing. They actually have all these seats with, with, with uh, you know, pieces of paper on them that say maintain social distancing. You get to sit in a seat that doesn't have a, a, a piece of paper on it. Well, while that happens, they had dozens of people, probably I want to say 30 or 40 people in the hallway, crammed together shoulder to shoulder uh, waiting to get in as opposed to just sitting in uh, a seat in the committee. Um, so it's very interesting, the semantics, um, that go on there, not semantics, the, the charade, I guess is the right word, uh, of, that's happening. Um, so I don't know really what that issue is with the judiciary committee. Maybe it's a particular member, uh, care, you know, is, is calling the shots. Um, no uh, pun, no pun intended, uh, for that, for that, uh, committee.
1: Yeah. So, um. Just to round it out, like we were saying, we are coming up on the hour. I'm sure we could go through bills and bills and bills all night long. Um, Everything that's going on in California, it is a little crazy. But again, this is, and I'm going to beat this drum, and I'm going to say it time and time again until people start to listen to me. The state legislature is the fight in California. That is the fight. And I know a lot of people always ask me, you know, who do we support for governor? Who's running for governor? Do we have a chance at winning governor? And my answer is no, we don't have a chance at winning governor. So stop focusing on governor and start focusing on state legislature. Like seriously, stop focusing on governor. Cause even if by some hail Mary miraculous occurrence or something that fell out of the sky and we got a Republican governor, it it wouldn't change anything. It wouldn't change because you still have a Democratic supermajority which can ram bills through, and they're still a veto-proof majority. So you're still going to get these crazy bills, and they'll keep doing what they're doing. You have to almost marginalize these Bay Area politicians who run the party because they know they have the support. They know they have two-thirds of their respective houses. They can just come up with these crazy bills. They know that there's going to be plenty of Democrats who vote for them. And that's it. If you start to dwindle those numbers, those Bay Area politicians stop running California so much. So,
0: yeah. And I'll just one last plug on that is school board races. Uh, those make a difference. So a lot of the times we are told, oh, we have to follow the state rules. We can't do this. Uh, well, one month before Newsom lifted the mask mandate, uh, there was a high school Roseville Joint Union High School District that voted to lift the mask mandate. And that uh, started this movement of all these different schools that did the same. Um, which ultimately put the pressure on Newsom to lift it when he did and lift it without any restrictions. So uh, there's a lot of power in local government, including school boards. So those races uh, can make a big difference.
1: Yeah, it's – yeah, and I think uh, the silver lining of COVID is that people did really see how – much their local politicians do have an effect on their daily lives, and especially school board. I think people thought school board was sort of boring. They talked about who knows what nonsense, you know, homecoming and and all that stuff. But now I think people are starting to see how much power school board does have. And I've heard from some of some people who follow me, they say, uh, yeah, I'm going to run for school board based on what you told me and that running for local office is the best way to make a choice and it's like yeah that's what you got to do even down to school board down to dog catcher it all makes a difference so um Cynthia I didn't know if you want to add any more if you had any more thoughts
2: um my last plug is um similar to what Jonathan said school board is important um I know in San Diego we have you know a coalition uh his name's Andrew Hayes he's uh Lakeside school board member, um, many founded a local coalition here in San Diego. Um, It's made up of uh, school board members here in San Diego that are basically trying to push back against Governor Gavin Newsom and um, advocating for local control um, because they recognize that, yeah, the mandate is lifted, wink, wink. But, you know, the language of it is very nuanced and very confusing. Um, It basically leaves the door open like at any point because California is still in a state of emergency Um, who's to say that, you know, things can go back and forth about which we've seen it happen before where, you know, minds get changed and decide to do different things. Um, So that would be my plug. Um, School boards are an important race. So um, I know it is, you know, at large and Uh, local race. So I think, you know, depending on your county, there is still time to consider running. So I definitely encourage the audience to look into that or at least know who your school board members are and see if they're, you know, working in the best interest of families and parents.
1: Uh, Lauren wanted to add one more comment. Nullification doesn't only work on the federal level. Uh, Local areas can nullify state tyranny. So that's sort of what I was saying about. I've said this before in California, such a big state, you could insulate yourself from the craziness of Sacramento with a good county supervisor board with good city council members good school boards and you can kind of push away Sacramento and say we're not really going to deal with you or we're just not going to listen to you um so with that we've gone over about an hour it's uh, it was a great discussion john thank you for hopping in at the last minute i know we kind of asked you and you, man, you came prepared. You were ready to go. So I, you, you know, your stuff and Cynthia always recommends really good people. That's why I go to her first. I'm like, I'm like, I have an idea for a show who should we bring on says, bring on Jonathan. Um, so here you are. It, thank you for, thank you for hopping in at the last minute.
0: Oh, no problem. Yeah. These are important issues. And we've been tracking these with, you know, there's a lot of different groups involved. Uh, you can get involved. And so uh, it's, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it takes a move. It takes a, a village, I guess to, to track, track these things.
1: And so where can people get involved with what you're doing and, and follow your activities? Cause you're pretty busy in this sphere and how can they get involved, support you and support your efforts?
0: Yeah. So there's a, uh, right now on Facebook, it's reopen California schools. Uh, and on Twitter it's, at uh, reopen CA schools. And you can also find my, me on my personal Twitter account, uh, which way I, I can touch on more things other than, uh, education related items, And that's at J Zacherson. So at J Z A C H R E S O N.
1: Awesome. And Cynthia, would you like to plug away for where people can find you and listen to your thoughts?
2: Sure. Uh, So had a great time with both of my great friends. So it was a great conversation and thank you, Jonathan, again, for hopping on last minute. Um, This uh, podcast went in a very, Great direction. I knew it was going to be great, but it was even better than I expected. So thank you again. Um, So you can find me on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Um, You can just type in my name. Uh, It's very, it's not very common. So that's great. Uh, So it's Cynthia Cowie. So C-Y-N-T-H-I-A. Then my last name is Cowie, K-A-U-I. Thank you both.
1: Awesome. And everyone who tuned in, we do this show every Thursday at 8 p.m. And then there's Coffee in California Politics live on Instagram every Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. You can listen to the audio podcast uh, on Spotify, Google, Apple, all those different places. Make sure to like, share and review. And I have one task for my listeners. Anybody who follows uh, text a friend, text one friend who you think would love this podcast and get a lot out of it that's your your homework for the week is to text one friend say hey check out this podcast i think you'd really like it uh it would really help spread the platform and i just want to thank my guests again and uh say good night we'll see you on the next one